been four years since we first came. Uh, my wife is here with me. <clears throat> and uh, Rani, uh, my wife, and our four children. Our oldest, Rana, he is 14 years. Then we have a daughter, Lolo, who is 11. Our third, second son, uh, Ayan, is 8. And then we have our youngest child, he's 7 months old. Uh, so you can figure out that he was a surprise baby for all of us. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we are blessed and grateful that God has given us an opportunity to be back here, worshiping with all of you and to be able to minister from God's word. So when I talked with Pastor Chris about the series, he told me about the series which is entitled Messy. And we are basically talking about scripture passages which tells us to love our neighbors. And we are kind of doing, going deeper into understanding what loving our neighbor looks like. And I was listening to a couple of messages uh, that are there online. And one of the things uh, I heard over and over again is the encouragement to build relationships with people around us. Building relationships is easy at times, you know. Uh, we take initiative in trying to get to know someone, and we get a good positive response, and our relationship grows. But then there are other times where we try to build a relationship with someone, we take some initiative, and we don't get a positive response. We feel like, oh, they just gave us a cold shoulder or they didn't even pay attention to me. And we think, did I say something wrong? Or was I not cordial enough? Or was I not warm enough in trying to build a relationship with this person? And the question that is there in front of us today is, as believers, what should be our response to people who don't reciprocate to our initiative, to our efforts in building relationship with them? What should we do as believers when people don't respond to us when we are trying to build relationships with them? So we are trying to look from a passage in John chapter 21. Now this passage does not have the exact phrase, love your neighbor, as your other passages have had in the past. Uh, from which we have seen in this series. But Jesus in this passage is facing a situation where the disciples whom he loved to the very end have now abandoned him. The people he had called to be fishers of men have gone back to their old lifestyle of being plain old fishermen. And what is Jesus' response? What does Jesus do? So we are going to look and learn from how Jesus is addressing this situation, how he's handling this situation, and we'll learn some principles of what we should do as believers in a situation where people don't respond to our invitation or people don't uh, are not very cordial in forming a relationship with us. So let's turn with me to John chapter 21. 
And I'm reading almost the whole chapter here. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in. Because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of your fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Reading further, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said, to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, uh, you know, I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, Do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus is practicing forgiveness as he is rebuilding his relationship with his disciples. These disciples have been with Jesus in the three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. They have seen Jesus day in and day out. They have lived with him. They have eaten with him. They have been his closest allies. They have been his buddies. They have been with Jesus everywhere he has gone. But at this moment, these disciples are abandoning Jesus. They are going back to their old ways. And Jesus is forgiving these disciples as he's rebuilding his relationship with them. Practicing forgiveness is at the core of Christian life. You all know that it's easier said than done, isn't it? It's easy to say to forgive, but very hard to practice. But we recite it when we say the Lord's Prayer. Lord, forgive us our trespasses as we have forgiven those who have trespassed against us. Jesus prayed the prayer of forgiveness. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. We are called to forgive others. Not because they deserve it. But it is what Jesus practiced and taught. Just because Peter's and Peter and the other six disciples have abandoned Jesus, Jesus is not giving up on them. John uses the analogy of light and darkness in his gospel. And he always is referring to Jesus as the light of the world to show that God is continuing his work in this world. The night has been futile, no fish caught, the disciples are in a very sorry state and as the day is breaking, as the daylight is coming, Jesus is appearing on the scene having forgiven the disciples already. God is continuing to do his work. Jesus is the one who is taking the initiative to reach out to the disciples, even though they have abandoned him, even though they have given him a cold shoulder, Jesus is taking the initiative. Forgiveness is not given because someone deserves it. We did not deserve to be forgiven when God forgave us, isn't it? Forgiveness is not extended because we think that There is no hurt cause. It's all okay. No. Jesus forgave when he was dying the most awful death anybody could die on that cross. Forgiveness is not extended to someone to show that 
it's all reconciled, it's all okay, and you trust that person. No. We forgive to let go of the bitterness, the agony, and the burden of that event that grips our hearts. When we forgive, we let go of it. This past weekend, we had one of our elders in the men's camp, uh, men's retreat that took place, share how he suffered huge financial loss from this one person. But he forgave him. And when he did forgive, he was free from the bitterness. He was free from that agony of that event that gripped his heart. He was free. As followers of Christ, we are called to take the initiative of trying to build relationship with people. But when they don't respond positively, or as we expected, we are expected, we are to forgive. But forgive is not the only thing that Jesus is practicing here. You know, if you go, and if you read the passage, we realize that Jesus is extending grace in rebuilding relationship with his disciples. When Jesus approaches the disciples in verse 5, and he calls out to them, he refers to them as children. Do you have any fish? You know, in the men's retreat that happened this past weekend, uh, the speaker was saying that the word children often connotes the meaning that the person who is being addressed is not as mature, right? They are still growing in their understanding and still maturing. Jesus, as he's addressing these grown-up men, he realizes they are in the process of maturing. He's kind and compassionate to them. One of the ministries we are involved in back home in India is Project Life. Project Life, uh, through Project Life, we try to provide care and relief to HIV-positive widows in our city. And the program involves uh, giving groceries, but also helping helping to find out how these women are doing in their day-to-day lives. If there is a need that we could pray for. Uh, if there could be a time where we could counsel them. Every month uh, they would come together for a time of fellowship. And uh, every other month we give them some groceries. Uh, when they are acutely uh, ill. And some people in this ministry were questioning whether we should... Give groceries to women who are not really open to hear God's message. Who are not really open to pray when an offer of prayer is extended. We had to get down on our knees and pray and realize that grace is extended irrespective of people's response. That's what makes it grace. Jesus is extending grace to these people, to his disciples. 
as we have been doing this Project Life ministry, one and a half year into this ministry, a sister who is uh, being given the care and uh, relief came up to us and she said, you know, previously, just me and my daughter, both of us are HIV positive. We felt we were all alone. We had nobody to do life with, to share our daily life things. But now, I feel like I have a community. People are interested in me, how things are going in my life. Interested enough to even pray for me. We are called to extend grace in building relationships. As Jesus is extending his grace to the disciples, he's not being furious or repulsive. He's being kind and compassionate. I'm sure that there are times uh, where we have felt, oh, you know, I should have been more gracious in that particular moment or that event. We regret that. But uh, in this past few days that we have been with uh, Chris and Anne, we have seen how it is done in flesh and blood as Anne and Chris and their children have extended grace time and time again to these children in their home that are having special needs. It has challenged Ronnie and myself to be gracious to our children. And not just to our children, but also to the children in the HIV orphanage where we minister through a nutrition program. In building relationships with his disciples, Jesus is practicing forgiveness. Jesus is extending grace. But you know what happens when grace is extended? Holy Spirit starts doing its work. When Jesus came and asked the question and he helped the disciples get this huge catch of fish, the Holy Spirit revealed it to John. This is Jesus. When Jesus asked the questions to his disciples, who do you say the Son of Man is? And Peter declared, you are the Son of Most High God. Jesus told him, It is not by flesh and blood that this has been revealed to you, but by the Spirit of my Father. The same Spirit is helping these disciples realize the love that Jesus has for them. And as as the nature of Peter is, when he realizes this is Jesus, he plunges himself into the sea, And swims all the way to meet Jesus. His beloved teacher. He's going back. In establishing. As Jesus is establishing. The relationship with them. And. We read. As these disciples come to the shore. They see a charcoal fire. And I. Always felt that I can always see Peter coming out of the sea, all drenched with water. And then this haunting smell 
hits him. It is the smell of this charcoal fire. The only other place charcoal fire is mentioned in the scripture is in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verse 18. It is the place where Peter had denied, consecutive, denied Christ consecutively for three times. He abandoned that relationship with Christ. Oh, I don't know him. I don't know who he is. I don't know what you're talking about. And here, as that smell hits Peter, he's drenched. He must be probably crying. But Jesus is giving Peter a second chance. He's not only forgiving He's not only extending grace, but he's giving Peter and other disciples second chance. As Jesus talks to Peter and asks him three times, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And every, with every confession, as Peter is realizing that it's not just a verbal confession that Jesus is expecting, it's how Peter's heart is motivated. And as Peter confesses, not once, not twice, but three times in front of all the disciples, Jesus is giving him a second chance to be the rock on which the foundation of the church would be established. And you know, as Peter started growing and understanding what this love for Christ means, as he catered to the responsibility of being the rock on which the church would be established, Peter, at the end of his ministry in his, uh, in his epistles, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, as he is commanding the elders of the church, he's almost replicating the same command that Jesus gave him. Shepherd the flock. Tend the sheep. Dear brothers and sisters. Jesus is practicing forgiveness. He is extending grace. Jesus is also giving a second chance. You see when forgiveness is given. Grace is extended. And a second chance is given to people. Not only does the relationship get established, but people become followers of God. You know, our goal in loving people, in forgiving them, in extending grace to them, in giving them a second chance is to help them understand what love of God means. They have to see it in and through us. And the same is happening here. I would take a few minutes and would love to share with you how God is giving us an opportunity to give a second chance to some very precious people in our country. Ronnie, would you like to come up and please share? So back home in India... <clears throat> we are working with an HIV-AIDS orphanage. Uh, 
and uh, working with the orphans as well as children. And I'd like for you to meet Nitesh. Uh, Nitesh is one of the children in um, the orphanage. When we met him, he was about 9 or 10 years old, and now he's 18. If you look at him, he doesn't look like an 18-year-old. What HIV medication does to your body is it stunts the growth. And so even if they are teenagers and, and are ready to merge into society, uh, they actually are not prepared in many, many ways. This teenager uh, is interested in graphics, um, web designing and stuff graphic like that, and he graphic designing. And he uh, wanted to pursue a degree in that area. Uh, but did not have the resources to be able to do that. We found that there are many more children like Nitesh who would like uh, to be able to be prepared to live a life in mainstream society. What happens very often, and I see that with the foster care system here as well, is that once you turn 18, the government considers you uh, to be an adult and to be able to live a life in the mainstream society, but they are not prepared. And that's what we found with Nitesh. Now, how we established a relationship with Nitesh is through the HIV orphanage. I would often get called to the orphanage to do counseling with the kids. And uh, when we were doing that, I found that they were not receiving proper nutrition. And the Lord just put it on our hearts to be able to provide for the HIV orphanage some milk and um, protein mix and fruits and eggs. And now we have an established program with them. And what this has achieved is that it has not only boosted their immunity, but it has also increased their lifespan. And so these kids are living, long, living longer than what is expected. And so before I would go and every month a child would have passed away. But in the last five years that we have been doing the milk and nutrition program at the orphanage, we have found that in the last five years only five kids have died. And so it has increased their lifespan. Um, which brings us to a good problem that we are having is since they, it has increased their lifespan, they are turning into teenagers, they are turning 18, and they are getting out of the orphanage, but they have no place to go. So the Lord um, is allowing us to extend this vision and um, through many things that he has provided us, we want to be able to extend this ministry. Yeah, through uh, the HIV orphanage, we were also introduced to uh, the widows that are in our city. Some of them are moms of the children who live in the orphanage. And how we were introduced to them was one of the kids who was supposed to get glasses did not have glasses. And um, we found that he had not even attended the program that we had done. And so I asked why he was not attending and we found out that his mom was very, very sick at the time and he was attending to her and so wasn't able to go to the eye hospital uh, for the clinic that we had for them. And through this incidence, we were introduced to a newer group of women who also were HIV positive um, but were living lives um, by themselves. And so through uh, one of the kids... 
we were introduced to this widow and to other widows in that orphanage um, and we have been able to start what we call the Project Life Ministry. Uh, this is Vanita. Vanita is a widow herself, but she is not HIV positive. She is one of our helpers who helps us oversee the widow's ministry. Now, when Vanita was introduced to us, we found her black and blue. She was persecuted for her faith. Her in-laws had beaten her up for refusing to uh, perform idol worship. And so we were able to help her. She started coming to our church, and we introduced her to the Project Life Ministry. And um, when she saw the HIV-positive widows, she, f- she had a sense of hope. Initially, she felt like she was in despair, and she was disappointed with the way that her life had turned out. But when she saw the other widows who were HIV-positive, she felt a sense of hope. That she felt like, you know, my life is better than theirs. I am not HIV-positive. And so she helps us with Project Life. And we have about 10 widows. What we do with them in Project Life is uh, provide home care, which includes home visits, which includes counseling, which includes um, grocery uh, for every other month. And Vanita is able to help us through that. Um, And the next thing that we... Yeah, we want to be able to do is to expand this ministry. We have 10, Lord willing, we want to be able to have more. Um, This is one of the programs that we did for Christmas, and we shared the Christmas story as well as some groceries with these women. Um, But the Lord is expanding our vision over and over again, and um, we shared this vision with my father. My father is a first-generation Christian. He comes from an Orthodox Hindu home, and he resigned from his job as a professor at the university. And when he did resign, the university gave him some amount of money. And he bought a piece of land and thought, oh, someday he will use it for ministry. But his gift was teaching and preaching, so he never was able to use the land that he bought. And so when we shared our vision with him, he gifted us that piece of land. It's about a seven-acre piece of land we have. And the Lord is showing us um, this farm. We are calling it the Hope Farm to be able to extend the ministry um, that he has given us. It looks very dry and arid. Our area is such. But Lord willing, uh, when this monsoon comes in June, we are uh, hoping to have uh, this arid, dry farm turn into a green farm, Lord willing, uh, and provide um, hope for the HIV-positive children that turn 18. Uh, Our vision for them is uh, that we would be able to encourage them, that we would be able to equip them, and that we would be able to empower them. And how we are going to do that, our strategy for doing that, is um, providing them with skills, providing them with training, providing them with um, access to government programs that are there, but they are not aware of. The second thing that we want to be able to do on this piece of land is build a home for them so that they have a safe place to come back to. So when they're 18 and graduate out of the orphanage, they have a safe place to come back to. And uh, the third thing that we want to be able to do is also provide spiritual guidance and uh, counseling. So... uh, We are in the foundations phase for Hope Farm, and what we are currently doing there is um, building a fence. 
number one. And the other thing that we are doing there is water harvesting. The middle picture is a picture of a well that we are digging on the farm. It is about 70 feet deep. And uh, we had some geologists come over and ask, we had, you know, asked them about where on the farm is water available, but apparently there is none available. Uh, so we were able to build some water harvesting structures. Come this June, when the rain comes, we are going to be able to harvest the water. And so that's water. And the third thing that we want to be able to do is um, solar power. Uh, our government does provide electricity, but it's only 8 to 10 hours during the day. So Lord willing, when we go back, we want to be able to build structures that will harvest even the sun rays and provide electricity for the farm. So we are in the foundations phase. However, we want to be able to start the building campaign uh, where we will build a home um, for us and we will start taking these kids in. And once we have a significant number, start building dorms for them to be able to live there, get trade training, be trained for skills, various skills. You know, we've thought about uh, sewing. We've thought about carpentry. Um, Building. Welding. And um, small electronic items like computers, phones, repairing and training for them to be able to do uh, things that will help them earn their their livelihood. And so this is the building that we want to be able to build over there, Lord willing, in the future. Um, But before we start building, we want to be able to have um, basic things on there. And so that's how we hope to be able to uh, give these kids and the widows a second chance to life. Thank you so much. And we consider it a great privilege that Lord would choose us uh, to do this ministry. It's nothing that we are anybody special. Uh, but it is our privilege that God is choosing us and using us to reach out to build relationship with these precious people. Uh, They are always having a stigma in the society. Nobody wants to be around them or befriend them, but with the grace that God has shown to us, with the way he has forgiven us, I think he is giving us an opportunity to extend the second chance, the same love and grace to these children. But before I end here today, I would like to leave you with a question. And the question is, is my love for God compelling me to get out of my comfort zone and take efforts in forgiving people? Is my love for God Moving me enough to put myself in a place where I will be vulnerable as I'm extending grace to those who have probably not responded before. To those with whom we had probably some relationship, but suddenly it stopped. Do we have some people that come to mind who fit this description? The first thing we can do is to pray for them. To ask the Holy Spirit to lead us as to how should we approach them. How should we uh, go through the process of forgiving and extending grace to them. It, could, it is very possible that some of us may have been the one 
who were not ready to build a relationship with somebody from our neighborhood or in our family, we kind of put them away because they were too weird or too odd to have relationship with. We need to come to a place ourselves and say, I'm going to put myself out there, make myself vulnerable and allow the Holy Spirit to guide me and to see how I can give a second chance. So that the ultimate aim, the ultimate motive of building relationships is that we would be able to help people understand what love for Christ looks like. What God's love looks like. You know, when Peter was challenged by Jesus and he confessed three times, Jesus told him what his love for Jesus is going to lead him to do. He was going to be martyred for Jesus. We may not be in a situation where we may be needing to get martyred, but we definitely need to come out of our comfort zones in forgiving people and extending grace to them and giving them a second chance so that through us, these people that we are trying to reach out would be able to see what God loves look like. So let's pray with me as we seek God's help in asking us to do this. Though the daunting task it may be, Father, we come before you as people who have been forgiven. We humble ourselves in your presence, O Lord, as people to whom grace has been extended. We come confessing because time and time again you have given us a second chance. In our relationship with you, O Father. But as we come before you this day, we also pray and ask that you would give us the wisdom and the leading of the Holy Spirit to understand, to find out how we can show forgiveness to those around us. How we can extend grace to those to whom probably nobody has extended grace ever. Father, teach us to give second chance to people who have not got even a single chance in life. Father, in our own strength, in our own wisdom, we may fail terribly. We may even abandon the efforts like the disciples did. But, O oh Lord, we come unto you asking for your guidance, for your leading, for your strength. Help us, O oh Lord. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray and ask this small prayer. Amen. Thank you so much.